Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, and joining me today on this very special quarantine edition of Half the Battle is PFL middleweight champion and winner of the Million Dollar Tournament, Lewis Put the Guns Down Taylor. Lewis, welcome hey, to Half the some, Battle. Let's get some let's get some gold in this in this in this chat. <laughs> it looks good, man. How you doing? I'm all good. I'm all good. Quarantine down. Can't wait to um, see the world again and get out there and get back in the cage again. I know, right? So my first question is, uh, how's this quarantine life been treating you? Uh, my black ops skills, my war zone has uh, finally got at least above average, I would say. <laughs> I know. I've known that uh, myself. Uh, you're killing it on that war zone, man. What a great distraction and also like a networking tool too, man. Very much so. Um I think it was about a week or two after quarantine started. I said, you know what? Let me give me some headphones and, and dive into the game. That's what everybody's doing, and I'm glad I did it. The time is flying. Right now, I'm observing observing Ramadan as well, so it's helping with that. Uh, first, it was quarantine. Now, it's Ramadan, but now they, it all plays, you know, in one time. Hopefully, by the end of the month, Chicago is free. And Atlanta as well. So, December well. 31st, 2018. You won the PFL middleweight world title and the million-dollar tournament. Now, firstly, what was it like waking up the day of the big fight knowing what was at stake? You know, uh, I really didn't put much more at stake than winning because my, my last time having the same circumstances when I fought for the belt for the WSOF against David Branch, like uh, two years, I believe, prior in 2016, New Year's, um, and and I let the I let the lights and the glamour distract me and didn't come home with what I achieved, which was the belt. And this time, that was the most important part of of this journey is coming home with the belt. Um, being 39 years of old of age, I, I knew I wasn't going to get too many more chances at a, a world title, so I had to make this one count. And I mean, look, you referenced that fight to, uh, you know, against Dave Branch. And at the time, Dave Branch was on a massive win streak, was looking unstoppable, finally got a call to the UFC. Do you feel like that fight was a pivotal moment in your career that kind of let you get to that next level? No, actually, I, I feel like uh, I underperformed um, in that fight. I had, a, you know, injuries, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, no one cares about that stuff. Uh, but most importantly... It, it showed me how quickly that the uh, organizations will sweep you under the bus because, um, you know, I fought for that. I earned that title shot, and then they put me right back at the bottom of the deck, you know. So you wake up in bed next to your wife the morning of the fight, and I'm talking about the Magomedov fight when you won the belt. And, you know, normally it's like win, lose, or draw. Your family is going to love you no matter what. But for this specific fight, was it at all like, uh, baby, uh, you better win that fucking million? <laughs> no, you know what? I don't think um, she never I, She never put no extra pressure on me at all. You know, uh, PFL pays well. So I had already accomplished my goals of of doing certain things. And no matter what. Even in second place, you're leaving out with two hundred thousand. So the million was 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 just extra to to. But the the I never I never in my mind spent 
anything past the 200,000. Okay, that's a that's a good mindset. So you were 22 fights deep into your professional career and 33 seconds, one left hook, one follow-up right hand changed your life forever. What was that moment like? Oh, that moment, that moment was great. Um, you know, the crazy part is I trained for 25 minutes of hell, of, of blood, sweat, and tears. So I'm not going to say, I was like, still ready to fight you know like i still had a lot of not aggression but it didn't settle in much because i hadn't i didn't get hit you know i didn't go through what i had put my mind i had prepared my mind for i didn't i didn't i didn't see that moment have that that hadn't happened yet so you know it was just like it was perfect it was perfect it was everything someone dreams of going into it not coming out unscathed and and, and getting a nice check and a belt with it now, seeing your family's reaction on the TV was absolutely priceless. What did it feel like for the man inside the arena? That was the best uh, out of everything. Watching the replays of my kids celebrating, my wife celebrating. You know, the look back that PFL just offered, just in hindsight, things you don't see when, when you know, how, how as your life is moving so fast, you don't really get a chance to appreciate the moments. So... I definitely appreciate watching the smiles on their face. Uh, even not just my immediate family, but my friends, uh, some who have passed through COVID-19, some who've passed some lung cancer, different. But the most important thing is they died, but I know that I made them proud before their deaths and, and they sent me positive messages. And, you know, it's just good energy. So I'm glad that even before they died, I was able to make them proud in, you know, in, 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 in a little small way. Now, when you won the belt and the million, you got on the mic and said you want a second check. Now, for a lot of people, they might just brush that off and say he was hyped up in the moment. But I actually picked up on a subtle message that really defines the winner's mindset because it showed that you're not just satisfied with a now past accomplishment. You're always looking to take things to that next level. Now, am I reading into this too much or am I on to something? Oh, not at all. Not at all. Um... I had got word that they wasn't going to continue with the middleweight uh, weight class. So I had wanted to put a stamp like, yo, you don't need to dissolve this weight class. You have somebody in it that'll carry it for you, that'll put on some shows for you. Give this weight class a chance. And I, I, was, I, I did a good job, but not quite good enough because they still went ahead and added the women's division and dissolved the middle. Yeah, man. And it's an interesting decision they made. And we're going to talk about how you wanted to move to 170 here in a second. But for a lot of fighters, the ultimate goal is the UFC. And you arguably accomplished something greater than simply saying you fought in the UFC once. Is there a part of you that still wonders what if, or I wish this, I wish that, or are you 100% content with the way your journey played out? You know, I'm 100% content. I always knew that um, I was more than good enough to compete in the UFC. Um, but it's like uh, going for a pickup game of basketball and then watching someone pick you last or pick over you. Um, at some point, you have to look at yourself in the mirror and know that it was their mistake, not yours, and, and, and prove, you know, like no matter, you know, you don't need other people to believe in you. You just got to believe in yourself. Now, what's your perspective on the fight game now that you've accomplished what many fighters would deem to be the ultimate goal? 
in, in what aspects? Well, like kind of like what we were referring to, so many fighters, it's the dream to make it to the UFC. But I feel like you proved that, hey, you can make a living in the sport without fighting in the UFC. You, you, you know, the, the crazy part is, uh, sadly, a lot of these young up-and-coming fighters, their goal isn't really to make a living, it's to fight in the UFC. So if the UFC paid them $4,000 and another uh, organization offered them $6,000, they would still say, no, no, I'm going to take the UFC. And that's my problem. I go, yo, your job is to, you know, is to fight and, you know, and to go make money for your family and provide. The UFC is just another organization. Like if I'm an NBA basketball player and if the NBA don't draft me or if China offers me more money, I'm going to go to China. You understand? Like you have to put, you, you know, if it doesn't make dollars, it doesn't make sense. But to, for so many people, their dream of fighting is is anchored so heavily upon the UFC that they cannot see anything else, that anything else is a disappointment. So are you feeling that itch to fight again? And is it strictly contingent on an offer you can't refuse? Very much so. I'm not uh, in dire needs to get back in a cage. So if the money's not right, you know, I'm good. But if... I'm at a position now where a fight is like a year's salary. So, of course, I want to get back in there and, and, and put some more cushion between me and hard times because everybody knows hard times are always coming. Well said, man. So, obviously, PFL, they got a really unique thing going on. It's almost like a regular sports season format, you know, with the regular season, the playoffs, the championship. What's your opinion on the PFL sports season format? I love uh, PFL. They're doing a great job of slowing it down. I was in season one. Season one was chaotic, but they're very professional. But it was chaotic in a sense of five fights every five weeks you're fighting. You know, it, it's, it's busy. They did a good job of slowing season two down, giving guys more time to heal, rebound. I think they made the fight six to eight weeks apart or something like that. That's more realistic than four or five weeks you know, turn around. So after you won the middleweight belt, uh, you said that you wanted to go to 170, win that belt as well. Now, what exactly would it take for Lewis Taylor to make 170? Uh, my wife still needs my penis, so not that part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, the thing is, I can make 170. I, I'm comfortable at 185. I'll be, I'm 40 years old now, so... I really don't want to play with my weight that way as far as health because it's not the smartest thing to do it when you're getting up there in age. But, again, if the money's right, if the opportunity's right, I'll make the sacrifice. So I want to know how you got the nickname Put the Guns Down. But before you tell me, let me take a wild guess. And I know I'm probably wrong, but I have to say this, so... I know you've seen the classic movie Friday, and uh, shout out to Pops from Friday, you know, rest in peace. But when he was talking to his son, Craig, Ice Cube, he said, real men don't need guns. Real men only need these two things right here. Put your dukes up, son. Did that movie have any influence on your nickname? I would love to say yeah, but no, it wasn't. <laughs> great point. The message is still the same. You know, I'm from Chicago. Uh, we have a a, a strong history of gun violence dealing from, from years ago, from Al Capone to now to Larry Hoover, Jeff Ford. It's embedded in us. And I tell people this all the time. If you're white, Chinese, 
Arabic, it doesn't black, it doesn't matter, Mexican. Everybody in Chicago has a that layer of stick of, of, of skin. And sometimes we've moved away from the era where you pick up where you fight and become friends maybe afterwards. Or you know, everybody now is so quick and so fast to just pick up a gun for every small beef. Oh, you cut me in a car, you know, whatever it is, it's stupid. But that was the beginning of my name. But the original, my original nickname, stage name was Handguns, Lewis Handguns Taylor. But a lot of people didn't get the reference of saying handguns. They thought that I was selling or trying to sell handguns. So I, I was trying to, to dumb it down for those who couldn't read between the lines and to pick up a message. You know, I just used put the guns down and kept it nice and simple because everybody could pretty much understand that without, you know, knowing how to read yeah well said and, and i like the story too so obviously when you uh won the pfl middleweight champion you defeated a uh, magomedov and we all know that russians uh obviously they're serious competitors but there's a certain like stigma attached to them in terms of like the intimidation on fight week like i know some of my buddies have fought russians before and it's not just the fight itself it's fight week uh their whole crew is staring at you it's a uh, it's a whole ordeal was there anything uh, like that when you were fighting <laughs> You know, the, the difference, you know, um, I'm managed by Ali, uh, and and so I, you know, for me, me and the Russians have a good relationship. We, you know, we, we're, you know, we'll, 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 we'll eat. We, we actually, me and, and, and all the Russians, we were playing basketball. We was at the fair. We were kicking it the, every time we see each other. It's always, it's business, you know, it's business. Not to say that I haven't come across those who do act just like you just said the staring the evil the you know the unnecessary unsportsmanship there are those out there but i will say this everybody who i know who acts like that karma bites them in the ass karma sets it right i'll be like you know so i don't worry about that even me myself i keep it friendly when it's time to fight i'll handle business but until the fight we're, we're human beings and this is a job so obviously I couldn't let you out of half the battle without talking about uh you know one of your favorite guys Bilal Muhammad. So y'all have a really interesting relationship, man. I mean, look, you know, he obviously looks up to you. You're like big bro to him. You're like his mentor, but I feel like you've probably learned a lot from him too. Talk to me about uh your longtime relationship with uh, Bilal Muhammad. Oh, Bully B170, give him a follow on uh Twitter and uh Instagram. He's a funny guy. That's my boy. You know, uh he keeps me young. He keeps me sharp. Um, you know, ever since I was his high school wrestling coach, he, he just, uh, attached to me and I, I never knew that, uh, the journey was going to be what it, what it is between us. Um, but it's been a great ride. It's always good having people in your corner who believe in you, who re, re you know, who just share the passion for what you, you have. Cause a lot of times as you will see, and even in your journeys for whatever you're trying to do. Some people, your closest friends won't rock with you, you know, you, and, and it, that's why you got to continue to turn a chapter in your story and my story. And you want to see who makes it to the end of that story with you. But for right now, me and Bilal has shared a lot of chapters in our journey and in, in our history. And it's been a great, great uh, ride. And I can't wait to see where it ends. Hopefully, God willing, inshallah, it's going to end with Bilal carrying that gold 170 welterweight UFC belt. 
That would be uh, an amazing thing to see. Uh, so you mentioned you were his high school wrestling coach. I feel like a lot of people didn't know that, man. So like, was this uh, midway through your MMA career? Was this before? Like, what was the timeline on that? No, this was actually, I, I did uh, two years of, of high school wrestling co- as his high school wrestling coach. And then um, training them guys, it just, it, it said, some, you know, I, it just told myself like, yo, you you're not done i'm not ready to be the fat guy walking through the hall telling the kids what to do and so i just quit you know i went to breakfast i looked across the street i saw a, a dojo that said uh they also offered uh, brazilian jiu-jitsu which was something i knew i needed for martial arts i walked through their doors and and the rest is history i just started chasing that rabbit until i came to this point right here so another thing a lot of people don't know about you, because obviously when they think about Lewis Taylor, they associate you with that beautiful left hook when you knocked out Magomedov, but they don't know that you're actually a former D1 wrestler. So uh, tell me a little bit about this wrestling background of yours. Man, you know, uh, wrestling, I, I, you know, I come from the South Side streets, um, so I, I didn't have a formal uh, wrestling career. I was just a naturally gifted athlete you know i wrestled in the grass with my neighbors my cousins etc but then um i had found myself in a street fight and um i hurt the guys pretty bad but it, it was three on one let me mind that part but i hurt the guys and i was you know but one of the persons who saw the fight asked me like what what do you do and i was like you know i don't do nothing he was like i watched you out there he like you handled yourself really well he was like he like he like you should be a wrestler and 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 from he introduced me to coach Ken Bringy and Ken you know I was going into junior year but I became the first Chicago city kid to place downstate in 15 years and I did it twice and I took that on to Lassen uh in California then on to eastern Illinois so how do you make the transition from, you know, a college wrestling career to now a professional MMA career? Like I said, I just looked up one day when I had finished wrestling and um, I knew I wasn't uh, an Olympic caliber wrestler, but I knew also that my style translated well into martial arts or being a fighter. I had like Quentin Rampage Jackson um, was one of my uh, roommates. And I had watched his career and I know, you know, he did well. He did really well for himself. And Matt Hughes had did really well for himself, my my uh, Eastern Illinois coach, uh, as well as a few others. So me knowing that I handle myself against some of the best in the world. And I'm like, man, those guys aren't that much better than me. You know, me and Quinn are about the same strength. Me and Hughes are about the same. So I'm like, I put both of them on their head equally. So I'm just like. And as well as people like Brock Lesnar, you know, I, I'm like, these guys are doing well in the sport. And I'm sitting here watching high school kids roll and learn. I'm like, I think I want to give it a shot. I didn't know uh, you were roommates with uh, Rampage. That's funny. I'm learning new things as this interview unfolds. So not to put you on the spot, but you got any funny stories uh, with Rampage back in the day? Oh, man, I have so many stories about Rampage. I'm going to leave them alone. I don't know what's clear. Uh, you know how it goes. I need something to jog my memory. But, you know, Quinn, uh, Quinn's always been uh, Quinn. You know, the crazy part I'll say about Quinn is this, a funny story. He comes from Memphis. And me and, him, me and Quinn was the only two kids from a public, like a city city. Everybody else was from suburbs, you know. 
Uh, so we, we, we bonded real well right off the bat. And then um, I remember a couple guys, we had got into, we had got into like a, like a, some kind of incident and, 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 and with some other people and, and, and a couple of the wrestlers were mad that Quentin didn't help, help like join the team in this fight or whatever. And so they started talking shit to him, you know, like bullying him, you know what I mean? And Quentin, you know, he just got up from the lunch table and, uh, and they, and they followed him. These two guys, they just followed him talking shit the whole way. Quinn carried his tray all the way to his dorm room, put his tray in his room. And then they were still talking smack outside of his door. But by that point, it was over with. Rampage was here now. <laughs> Quinn, Quinn literally put his food in his room, came back out. One of the guys, Vinny, Vinny Sessa, I think his name was, was still standing there. Quinn gave him an open palm, bitch slap front, dropped him to his knees, grabbed him by his waist, suplexed him, right on the uh right in the dormitory floor, which you know those floors are not soft. Those are like laminate floors. Finished him with the two-piece in a soda, just like that. I, and at that point, I knew that Rampage was real and that that boy had some issues in his head if you pushed him. <laughs> so I'm willing to take a wild guess that those kids never mess with him ever again. No, nah, no, nah, that was a wrap. That was a wrap. You know, after that, anytime after that, that you got a problem with Rampage, it was go get Lou. <laughs> yeah, exactly, you know? right? So uh, you mentioned uh, you were coached under Matt Hughes. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, when I got to Eastern, right as Hughes, he left Eastern. He was still coaching. And, and you, you remember, people don't know that UFC at those days wasn't paying much. So for a guy who was still fighting in the UFC, um, you still had to have a side hustle, you know, and Matt was still coaching and still doing other things. You know, he's a big farm boy. Um, but again, at some point it was Hughes who discouraged me. So I remember when Hughes first started fighting and we were training, you know, he would, he was a dickhead, you know, you know, he's, you know, he is, but he's a dick. He's just, that's who he is. He's always but had that rep. Yep. He's just a dick, you know? Uh, but anyway, so he would take that MMA stuff into the wrestling room. So me and him had it out a couple times, but long story short, you know, uh, he, he, he was just, he was gridiron tough though. And he pushed me a lot. And I knew that getting, it, it took me a while to get past him. But when I beat, was able to beat him in wrestling, you know, it, it was a great accomplishment for myself. And uh, watching him go on to win that UFC gold, it, it made all the Eastern Illinois wrestlers proud, and he still makes us proud. What did that do for your confidence, seeing a guy who would go on to become a, a former champion, a future Hall of Famer, uh, Matt Hughes, performed the way he did? I mean, it was great, man. It was, it was, uh, it was great um, watching his journey, w watching all those guys, you know, watching Rampage's journey from Japan to America to Chuck Liddell to the knockout. Because, you know, that was another great moment because I knew Rampage before I knew Hughes. Uh, and then, uh, you know, with Hughes, it was like the tough dickhead, but you were still with your teammates. So you were still rooting for him. And, you know, uh, even even to his, you know, his, his, his tragic accident now, I'm glad that he was able to find his inner peace. And it took an incident like that train hitting his truck to 
help him humble himself down. And like I said, karma is a bitch, as they say. But, you know, now him and his family are much more bonded. His wife says, you know, he's a whole different person. And I believe her. And I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that God spared his life. And that he's still, he's, he's always going to have his legacy. And now he has his life after legacy. Man, uh, and the fact that he survived that speaks volumes to uh, the dude. Exactly. How durability. How, yeah. I mean, who gets hit by a train and survives yeah, and walks again? Man. So, obviously, the two wrestlers you mentioned, Rampage and Matt Hughes, their style is very unique in the sense that they love the slams, especially in MMA. I mean, you know, obviously, Quentin Rampage Jackson's knocked out guys with slams. So has Matt Hughes. Uh, but Matt yeah. Hughes is mostly known for picking dudes up, walking them to the center of that octagon. And he likes to put on a show. You know what I mean? Uh, so did you take any influence from that particular style that they bring to the table? Very much so. Um, you know, uh, very much uh, with both guys. It, 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 you know, even and when you wrestle with him, I, I remember Quinn almost got got me up, and I no 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 no. I was able to sprawl down, and Hughes as well uh, almost got me up. But again, you 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 know that when you see people as freakishly naturally freakishly strong as those two, and putting on the show, that was one of the things when I first started MMA that I wanted to bring to MMA. Unfortunately. I had I have a couple slam knockouts, but they were in my like amateurish or early pro careers. As I, you know, because I started MMA at 28, so by the time I got started getting older, I stopped looking at trying to pick somebody up. I was just trying to win in any means necessary, versus trying to lift them up in the air and et cetera, wasting all the energy. So, man, another thing you just mentioned, you uh, so you made your pro debut at 28 or amateur debut? Actually, it was my amateur debut at 28. All right, so for anyone listening, it's uh, it's never too late because most of these guys nowadays are starring at what eighteen, nineteen, shit like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. By showed... twenty eight, they they looking to retire. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you show that you can start at that point, and then where you are now, uh, you won. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, like I said before, it's a, it's about uh believing in yourself, and and I believed in me, and coming into contact with such great people. Like I mentioned before, lets you know where you're where you at on the pedestal, you know, and just like you look around, and you see, yo, John can do it. I can do it, you know, and that's just how it goes. Well said. So on the topic of Bilal Muhammad, so obviously he fought Curtis Melender in the ATL. You know, I'm from the ATL, born and raised. Uh, what was it? Like? What was your time in Atlanta like? Atlanta was fun, so we almost got raped by a bunch of boys. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, the uh, they have an aggressive homosexual population is my joke. But um, but uh, but we, 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 we had to find the right neighborhoods to walk through. But, um, but we had a great time. Atlanta was very friendly. We got the W. Um, you know, it was, it was a bunch of great fights on that card. Uh, Adesanya's fight was on that card, you know, it was, so for me, it was just a magical moment, magical night, um, having a chance to just know that you're a part of history. Man, obviously the Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum fight was incredible, but how good was a Dustin Poirier versus Max Holloway, the rematch? That was unreal. You know, I'm a, that's the, uh, it's a double-edged sword for me because I'm a huge Max fan. 
Um, I got nothing against uh, Dustin. I like Dustin. We cool. But when I see Max, it's just a different – Max is just like – Max is just a great – both of those guys are great, great people. Not comparing them, not trying to say one's better than the other. But it's just a different um, – when you're with Max, like Max, Max will walk up to you and just say the most off the wall shit that you want. You won't even be like, all right, say like we ran into Max in Vegas about a uh, right before quarantine, and Bilal Muhammad was wearing his uh, Chicago Bears jersey. Uh, I'm dressed, you know, fresh fly. Max, Max, Max walks up to us and he goes, brother. What's your problem? Why would you let your boy come outside with this trash bag on? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what? Then I look at him like, oh! <laughs> like, like, you know, it's just off the wall. Like I said, like Max. And Max cracks jokes. Even, like, right before weigh-ins, he's still, like, dead tired, but still gives you good, positive vibes and energy. So that's why I like Max a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people, when it comes to, you know, they, they could be the same way, even when he's focused, they still give you great energy. And I, I and me, myself, I'm not a, a stranger to giving people positivity, sending out positive vibes. So I appreciate those people who are man enough to send positive vibes back. Because in today's society, it's a lot of, oh, you're soft if you share love or anything like that. You know, get the fuck out of here with that. Just be human. Yeah, Max is obviously a great guy. And even for people that don't know him, he definitely uh, vibrates that that positive energy and just love his fighting style too. But I was happy because Dustin Poirier has always been a super exciting fighter and he finally got to realize that dream of touching UFC gold. So that was pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, you know, like I said, you know, it, it, it was like, it was a double-edged sword. I was, I was happy for Dustin. Um, I had been around him too, but Dustin's super focused when you're around him, you know, so you don't really get a chance to get to know him. You know, he's one of those persons that you would have to spend a lot of time with to get a grasp of his character. Um, but like I said, he in that Khabib fight, he, he you know, he he had in in a, in a Holloway fight, he's just shown his growth. And and I and I you know I, I have nothing but the most utmost respect for him. And I can't wait to see what's next. You know, now it's gonna be big money fights for that guy, and I can't wait to see. If somehow he gets another shot at uh, Connor, that's the fight I would like to see over again because he looked like trash to me in that fight. I want to see the Dustin now versus the Connor now. Yeah, I actually want to see that as well. And I'm happy for Poirier too, what he's done with his career. I mean, he's always been such an exciting fighter and he's always been perennial top five. But now in Atlanta, he finally got to touch that gold belt. So I couldn't have been happier for the guy. But, Lou, I can't let you go without talking about this Chicago pizza. So I've been hearing about this for years. Obviously, I'm from the ATL. I've been to the Windy City once or twice. But tell me about this Chicago pizza. Is it the real deal? Look, it, it's, look for me, I'm born and raised. I love it. Giordano's is my, 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 you know, that's my holy mecca. But it's to each his own. Some people hate it, uh, you know, but like I said, Give it a shot. There's different ways you can order it. So next time you come to Chicago, for sure, peace on me. Um, and I'll show you the way I enjoy my deep dish pizza. And for those who I don't know and don't want to know, this is what you do. You go to Chicago. You fly into Midway Airport. You go to Giordano's right off the airport. You tell them, I want me Italian beef with Jardine peppers inside. That's it. 
and you will be happy. If you like some vegetables, put some spinach in that too. That's it. That's the secret recipe. If you don't like it, send me a hate mail in my DMs. <laughs> Say less. So uh, you down to do a couple fan questions? The fans are really pumped that you were coming on the show. Oh, let's see. Let's see what they got. All right, let's do it. So John wants to know, he says, given that PFL was postponed for the season, are you planning on coming back or are you planning on focusing on coaching going forward? No, well, it's, it's for me, um, I'm not planning on coming back. It's all about the CEOs there. Twenty twenty one is a long time from now. We don't know what the global uh, situation for anything is going to look like. But I will say options like Bellator and RCC over in Russia. For myself, a guy who's forty years old already, I need to eat now rather than later. So Albert wants to know. He says. I have to imagine Lou is extremely frustrated uh, with not being able to fight in 2019 and now uh, this COVID stuff. What are the things that you're telling yourself to keep a positive mindset? That that Reese's goes better with cookies. <laughs> and he also wants to know, he says, uh, did Lou wager on himself at big underdog odds against uh, Magomedov? And before you answer that, Lou, it's completely legal to bet on yourself, just so you know. Okay. Okay. Yeah, actually, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't bet. I never. Um, I'm the type, even in street fights, legal fights, whatever. I never like to bet on myself. I just like the people around me to believe in me and and go. Yeah, you go put that bet. And I had a lot of happy friends. Some places, people I don't know, say Sydney, Australia. They was telling me, brother, you was a 17 to one underdog. Thank you. I mean, even people who put small bets, twelve dollars. $23. It came out bet, uh, good. You got a couple hundred out of that. Yeah, they more than doubled their money, so they got nothing to complain about. Uh, Sparring with Reality says, uh, give us your best Bilal Muhammad story. Ooh. Oh, man. The, I don't know about my best. I'll just try to find one that's on the top of my head. All right. The one he hates that I'm going to say because he hates it? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, we was doing a, Bilal's first international fight. Uh, we were heading to uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. I had already went and fought there. I hosted the, I was the main event for the first show in Mexico, first MMA show in Mexico, period. So the fans and the people there were super excited. The energy was super great. I got back to America, but I was like, yo, I want a piece of that. Take me. So I like, yo, I made great connections over there. Let's go. My coach, Roberto Ramirez, you know, he's Hispanic. This is his uh, his part of the world. But Bilal's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I speak Spanish. I took it in high school. I'm good. I'm good. So I get over there. Mind you, I've been over there. The fans love me. I'm bringing my boy with me this time. Nobody know him. He speaks Spanish. I'm giving him the good energy. They know me. They like, that's Tequila Taylor, Tequila Taylor, <laughs> you know? So I'm like, yo, this is my boy, Bilal Muhammad. I give him the microphone. Bilal's like, I'm like, Blau, say something. Hola. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, that was, he froze at the mic and he said, hola, the entire time. That was the only thing he said. I ended up having to take the mic back from him and talking for him. And, 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 and people was like, why is he so cold? But again, you know, Blau, now Blau, he's, he's coming to his own. He'll take that mic, he'll spit hot fire. 
and can tell the truth. But back then, I still make fun of them. I'm like, oh, the Ola kid has grown up a little bit. <laughs> That's funny because Bilal nowadays, man, he's got the social media thing going, his presence on there. You're really starting to see his personality. Very funny guy. So I'm glad to see him uh, doing his thing, you know? Oh, very much so. He needs it. I mean, he tries to get on Twitter, and I can't. But, I, but I, I've watched his Twitter growth. And like you said, he has a great uh, – he has a uh, like even people who you don't think are paying attention are paying attention. And that's a dope thing to have. He might not have a lot of Twitter follows, but the people who do follow him or do pay attention to what he says are very influential. So that just lets him know he's one step from being an influencer himself. So I can't wait to see when that he make that move. Definitely. So Oliver says, uh, what does Lou think about a matchup between him and Alexander Shlomenko? Because obviously a lot of people don't know, but you were scheduled to fight Shlomenko. So first tell us uh, what you think about the matchup, and then also tell us what happened with that fight. Why did it get canceled? Well, we were supposed to fight in December. Um, and then um, I you know, was coming off of not being in a gym as much as I should be to go fight a professional world champion. So I was like, you know, I didn't when I when I prepare for fights, I like to get my weight cut out the way and then prepare for the person I'm fighting. I don't like to do both at the same time so much where I can't. So I knew that going into that fight, I was gonna need like a a three to five pound buffer so I can not pay attention to weight cut as much as paying attention as getting ready for him, Alexander. But when I told him that, um the first they was like, cool, we can do a catch weight at 190. I'm like, cool. Next thing you know, they like, no, nah. he says 85, 85 only. I'm like, and then when I saw something in a contract about me being fined a lot of money if I missed weight, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to play this game. Let's reschedule it. So we rescheduled it to April. I was supposed to fight him. We're two, three weeks out, and President Trump shuts down the country. No one can go anywhere, and the rest is COVID-19 history. And uh, the fight was supposed to take place in Russia? Yeah, it was supposed to take place in Russia, April 25th. But the good thing is RCC, um, they are still promoting the fight. They, they, they just told their fans they're going to reschedule the fight. So I'm still thinking that when the borders open, when the countries you know, allow us to travel and come back without a two-week quarantine, that'll be the fight I'll have first. And then we'll see what's next. Is that the kind of challenge that really gets you excited? Because obviously the guy's a former world champion and all the things that he brings to the table. But more importantly, you're fighting him in Russia. And what that means is if this is a close fight, they're scoring it for him. Uh, you got to go out there and put a definitive stamp if you want to beat him. No, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, I'm not, you know, I my style, I, I don't fight to points for I fight to finish. Um, I'm not a very technical fighter, although I know my techniques are up up to par, I, but my style that is not reliant upon that. My style is relying upon hurting you. And so when whoever I fight, I don't plan on laying on them, on just eking by a decision. So I make sure that my money when I go there is, is show and win together. I'm not getting paid extra if I win. So when I show up, I'm going to show out. Now I'm going to put them away. And I know that those are his fans and his judges. So if I don't put I'm away and I take an L, I got nothing to cry about. My job is to go out there and F him up. And that's what I'm going to do when they give me that chance. Well said. So Dylan wants to know, with a huge title already to your name, what else is Lou 
uh, hoping to accomplish in the sport at the age of 40? Uh, international travel. You know, like I said, there's uh, Russia, which is which is hot right now, which is, you know, that's probably going to be first. France just uh, opened up its MMA scene. Uh, they legalized it there. They're trying to bring in a lot of American fighters who aren't in the UFC under contract. So I my name pops up to the top of that list as well. Uh, I still want to uh, eventually fight in Japan as well. I don't know under which or umbrella, but for me, as they say, becoming a journeyman is no problem as long as you're paying me for the travel. So last but not least, uh, Bilal Muhammad wants to know, who's the best Arabian uh, Lewis Taylor has ever trained with? The best Arabian? Hmm. Bilal's old manager, I think his name was Abe, he was pretty sucky. Anyway, now, um, <laughs> I would, it, it would be Bilal Muhammad and tell him, get off my line. Hang up on him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lou, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me right here, right now on Half the Battle. It's been an absolute pleasure. The fans can follow you at Put the Guns Down Taylor on Instagram, at Lewis Taylor 064 on Twitter. Lou, any message for the fans before we go? Oh, man. Uh, enjoy your quarantine. Stay away from John. He's with me on Black Ops. Stop hogging his time. I need them W's, too. I'll catch you on Warzone and catch you on Instagram. Yes, sir. Lou, I really appreciate the time, and we'll speak soon, my man. Yes, sir, brother. Have a good day.